Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. We are a weekly Columbus-centric podcast focusing on the civics, lifestyle, entertainment, and people of our city. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. This week, I sat down with Travis Irvine, Ohio's Libertarian gubernatorial candidate, for a live interview at the Columbus Podcast Festival. We talked about his rich and varied history running for political office, made fun of John Kasich, and his upcoming feature film, Killer Raccoons 2. You can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Also, The Confluence Cast is on Patreon. Find out how to support this podcast on our website, theconfluencecast.com, or at patreon.com slash confluence. The Confluence Cast is sponsored by Little Rock Bar. Little Rock Bar is located at 944 North 4th Street in Italian Village. With 30 beers on tap, Little Rock Bar has happy hour from 4 to 7 p.m. every day. Every Tuesday, get $3 draft beers all night while you enjoy Rock Your Cock Off Karaoke. Wednesdays is Everybody's a Comedian, hosted by Travis Haywitcher. It's like trivia, but you prove your snark instead of smarts. Info, hours, and upcoming events at littlerockbar.net. Everyone's night should have a little rock. Enjoy the interview. Welcome to Columbus Podcast Festival, presented by Kaufman Development, where high design and a sense of belonging come together for a truly special place to live. Up next, we have the Confluence Cast, presented by Columbus Underground. <laughs> it's a weekly Columbus-centric podcast focusing on the civics, lifestyle, entertainment, and people of our city, hosted by our very own Tim Fulton. Please give it up for the Confluence Cast. This is my theme song. I like your theme song. Thank you. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Confluence Cast. Big thank you to Katie and all the organizing crew for, from the Columbus Podcast Festival for having us out. I'm sitting down here with comedian, journalist, filmmaker, sometimes politician, Travis Irvine. How are you, Travis? Hello, Tim. It's good to see you again. It's good to see you as well. Listeners of this podcast will recall that Travis and I have sat down in the past to sort of talk about our interconnections in the past. We've known each other since we were in our... Teenagers. Early teens. Early teens? Late teens. Late teens. You were the car, I remember. Oh. And I thought you were very cool. Well, there you go. Yeah. So, yes, that was certainly late teens. We did a summer touring production of Robin Hood. That's right. Throughout the city of Columbus, I... You were... I was Prince John. Prince John. You were Robin Hood. I was Robin Hood. Uh, you kicked my ass at some point, I think. Yeah, I we think we fake sword uh, fight. there, there was a, some amount of stagecraft with bows. Yeah, uh, which bows for I'm those usually that aren't allowed. aware is just a large yeah. stick. Yes, right. Yes, absolutely. And then the other Prince John in that play, who went on to do other things, is a guy named John Schwartz, who produces the Star Wars movies now. Did what? you know? Yeah, uh, Jazz Hands John Schwartz. Yeah. Yeah, he's, uh, he worked for Kathleen Kennedy and then Steven Spielberg, and now he's producing all the Star Wars movies. And what happened to us? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Schwartz right. wins again. So the Schwartz uh, is strong with him. All right. <laughs> you are recently back in Columbus. 
You just wrapped filming and are currently still editing, correct? Yes, we are uh, in post-production. For the follow-up to the film Killer Raccoons, the new film Killer Raccoons 2, colon, Dark Christmas in the Dark. It's actually Killer Raccoons, exclamation point, to exclamation point, Dark Christmas in the Dark. There is no colon. No colon. I apologize. No. My producers are terrified of colonoscopies, so. Can you tell us about that film? Yeah, absolutely. Basically, in the first movie we made when I was at college at Ohio University, and it was a you know very simple concept, killer raccoons, and they attack a campground full of uh, college kids, and hilarity ensues. And um, so uh, for years we've talked about making a sequel. We, we ended up being the first undergraduate movie to get distribution, which we got through Troma Entertainment. Right. Which we got no money for and we Trauma best known for Toxic Avenger. Toxic which Avenger. Which I noticed they're having the musical here at some point. Yes, here at the Short North Stage. They'll have the Toxic Avenger the next yeah. season. Yeah. Oh, love it. So they picked up the first movie and it's kinda like a little cult movie. You know, eventually I think they just put it on their YouTube channel. But for years we've talked about doing a sequel and it was just gonna be the plot of Under Siege Two, but with raccoons. And that is truly what you've that done. That is literally what I did. Uh, when it came time to write the script, I just watched Under Siege 2 and would pause it and then rewrite the scene with raccoons and then hit play again. And I don't know if this is legal, but I'm going to argue parody. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's so if you watch the trailer for the film, which we'll cut in sort of splices. We did up. bring one. We did bring it. We The audio just wasn't working properly, but please do check out the trailer, and we'll cut in splices when we edit this. But at the end of the trailer, so it's all based on a train. That's what happens. Yeah, if anyone here is unfamiliar with the movie Under Siege 2. Please give us the rundown. I have seen it 500 times. It gets worse each time. It is so bad. I first saw Under Siege 2 when I was 12, and I had no context for the first Under Siege. I didn't know. And I remember we were in a band with the Borkin family down to North Carolina for summer vacation. Uh-huh. And they throw in Under Siege 2, and it, it scared me. But then I also could tell it was a terrible movie. So I always remembered in my brain that Under Siege 2 was terrible. So Eight-year-old eight year old Travis Irvine was like, I must file this away. And yeah, file for later. later. Exactly. Right. Yeah, you might need to make fun of this 30 years later. So yeah, it was a no-brainer for us that we, we wanted to make this movie. But one thing we did do that I am glad we did, we pulled in other bad action sequel plots as well. So... Die Hard 2, which most people regard as the worst Die Hard until recently. Until modern times. Until modern Die Hard. Right. Um, <laughs> basically, people, uh, you know, the suggestion was if, if we bring in Die Hard 2, then it becomes a Christmas movie. And on the train, we use this train in Nelsonville, the, the Hocking Valley Scenic Railway. Nonprofit, great train, super fun. And they do summer rides and they do Christmas rides, and that's kind of their big thing. And we were thinking about doing a summer movie, but then we were like, hey, wait a minute, you throw in some die, sprinkle in some Die Hard 2, and then uh, <laughs> you've got uh, Die Hard 2, Under Siege 2 with raccoons. And combined. for those that don't remember Die Hard 2, Die Hard 2 is the one based at the airport, right? Yes, that's right. A, the other fascinating thing about Under Siege 2 and Die Hard 2, they're both uh, the plot. Transit. Of, yes, both transit, and then we also threw in a little Speed 2, which is on a boat. So you got them all mixed together. and But the nice thing is about all three of these movies is someone in the 90s in Hollywood was just like, computer villains are hot right now. So all three of the villains are just using computers to hijack transit. So they hijack the train, and then they hijack a satellite. They hijack the airport, the Dulles Airport in Die Hard 2, and then a speedboat or, uh, you know, or a cruise ship in uh, Speed 2. So your bad guys are usually just 
close up of their face and they're making a creepy face and then they cut to these terrible 90s graphics which is just literally like boat goes faster <laughs> bridge falls down yeah 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 at one point oh sorry this is this Please. is the last bit of nerding out I'll do an under siege too but on the first thing that Eric Bogosian famed New York monologuist Eric Bogosian as your chief bad guy in Under Siege 2. He, right. he uses the uh, satellite that he hijacks from the train to blow up a weapons facility in China, and they literally just dissolve to, like, a building on fire and then dissolve back. He's <laughs> just like, what? You just blew up a part of the world. I did it. And then, and yeah, the, they'd run out of money at that point in time. Yeah, at some point, someone's so, like, eh, this will work. Right. Uh, since you've last been on the podcast, you were still living in New York at the time. You've been doing a lot of work for Vice. Yeah, yeah. What? Who? Whom else have you been writing for slash doing video production for? The nice thing is being back here, I've been writing for Columbus Free Press. Mm-hmm. I saw a stack of copies out there. Be sure to grab one. And then uh, I've been writing for ColumbusUnderground.com. I don't know if you've heard of it. Yeah, they are, in fact, the presenter of oh, this what? podcast. Oh, I had no idea. Indeed. Okay. That's it's so crazy. The Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. Oh, that's such a long name. You like also, almost immediately when you moved back, released a comedy album. Yes. Oh, my God. It's funny you mentioned that. You know, journalism school, they taught me, always bring props to podcasts and radio shows. This is, uh, this is the album. This is called Guy from Ohio. It was recorded at the lovely Mad Lab Theatre. Mm-hmm. You spell it with an R-E, not E-R. And I'm really happy with how it turned out. It's uh, produced by uh, On Tour Records out of Kentucky. They do a lot of, like, regional guys. Stuart Huff is a comedian. He was kind of the inspiration for the liberal rednecks. So uh, I'm on the same label with him, and I'm really, really happy with it. Yeah, it came out June 30th. We did the big party. We did the big party. At Little Rock. And yes. you so some interesting promo. Indeed. So I do yeah. marketing for this bar in Columbus called Little Rock Bar, and... Travis came and did his launch event for the album there, and I was monitoring social media and got a notification on Facebook that someone had shared the event, and I clicked through, and it said, Roger Stone has shared your event. And I said, that can't possibly be the Roger Stone that I'm thinking of that basically created lobbying as we currently know it, is a, a confidant of our current president, Donald Trump. And so I immediately texted you and I said, is this a joke? And your response was, I don't know if you recall, your response was, no, I consider Roger a mentor. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tell me. It was that Roger Stone. Yes, yeah, you, sorry, you did verify that. How do you know Roger Stone? I worked for Roger Stone briefly during 2012 Libertarian Gary Johnson's campaign. Okay. Roger Stone was an unofficial advisor to Gary Johnson because he was sick of the Republican Party. And some way or another, because I'm involved with the Libertarian Party in Ohio, I got hired on through one of Roger's guys who's my age. And sure enough, Roger came to a comedy show. This is the first time I met Roger Stone was he came to one of my shows, and I killed, of course. Okay. I had to kill. Killed that show. And then uh, we got invited to his roof in his Manhattan apartment for the after party. And, I, and he, he was just kept trying Sorry, to talk. Sorry, Roger Stone threw you an after party. No, no, they were having an after party anyway. No okay. one ever throws me a party. Come on. Okay. Just over a hilarious set? No way. 
and Roger Stone is, and he's, you know, he's an older guy, and he was trying to like be funny because he just saw, seen me be funny, and he was just like bothering me. I was like, who the hell is this old guy? He is just not funny. Are you being honest? You didn't I'm, know who he was. I did no idea who Roger Stone okay. was. I don't think a lot of people knew until this documentary came out last year. So this the, was the, the to be Roger absolutely Stone clear. This was before the documentary came out. Oh like, yeah, I this knew. was 2012. Right. I mean, this was before. I mean, I guess Roger's always worked close with Trump, but it was definitely before he created Trump as a political candidate. I first became aware of Roger Stone with studying Watergate. Never heard of it. <laughs> and then also was aware of him sort of starting lobbying as we currently know it. This was before, for me, before the Netflix yeah. documentary came out. You were more educated than I because I gradually learned who Roger was as, as After I was you working physically for him. met him. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and was, nothing gave you pause? Well, no, because we were working for the, the Libertarians. Uh, we were working for Gary Johnson's campaign. So I literally only knew him from that context. Okay. And I knew him. You know, I would do videos. I would write communication stuff. I would uh, go MC the rallies. I would get, you know, you get a room pumped up for a guy like Gary Johnson. You can really get a room pumped up, let me tell you. <laughs> Just a bunch of awkward libertarians in bow ties, you know. <laughs> but they're the best. They're the best. And Gare Bear is such a sweetheart, by the way. I know he got a tough rap after 2016, but he just reminds me of, like, a suburb dad who, like, was successful, and then he goes and runs triathlons and, and then runs for president. Well, and I totally believe that he had the best of intentions. Yes. <laughs> I want to move on to talk about sort of, so you're, you've been involved in libertarian politics for over 10 years at this point. Yeah. Part of the reason you're back is both the new Killer Raccoons movie, yes, but then also the upcoming gubernatorial election as well. That is correct. Yes. Tell us what sort of the state of state of affairs are with the Libertarian Party in the state of Ohio as it relates to statewide races. Sure. So in 2013, the Republicans in the supermajority in the state legislature passed a bill called SB 193 which was a ballot access bill designed to control minor political parties, basically. For years and years, the Secretary of State, usually a Republican, would try to make new rules to make it harder for minor political parties to get on the ballot. Mm -hmm. Libertarian Party and the Green Party and the ACLU would always come in and sue in some context and win because the Secretary of State cannot make ballot access laws. They are not a legislative body. Right. So 2013, Republican legislature was like, all right, we got to take care of this the right way. And they ran this bill through the Senate and, and went to Kasich's desk like that day. It was very, very nuts. And what it does is it makes it harder for minor political parties to get on the ballot in such that if there's a statewide election, presidential or gubernatorial, a minor political party needs to get 3% of the vote, popular vote, in the state to become a registered recognized minor political party in the state for four more years, and then you have ballot access for four more years. And so basically what the bill did was said, okay, next election, here's where the baseline starts. Yeah, and they did that in 2013 to get it ready for 2014. Mm -hmm. um, now, of course, again, ACLU, Green Party, Libertarian Party, they all sued and actually won that it was too close to the election. So SB 193 did not go into effect until after uh, the 2014 election. But if a political party fails to get 3% of the vote in the presidential or, or gubernatorial, then they need to go through an arduous signature gathering process. I've actually brought my petition right here. They need to get 1% of the total votes cast in the previous statewide election. So I believe, I'm doing the math in my head, but I'm guessing about 5 million people voted uh, in 2016. So we have to get 54,000 signatures to become a political party again 
because we did not get 3% in the 2014 gubernatorial election because our libertarian candidate was kicked off the ballot by the Republicans on a completely different technicality. So someone, maybe John Kasich, really didn't want the libertarians on the ballot at all. Because it was a threat. I believe they thought that our gubernatorial candidate, Charlie Earl, in 2014, who used to be a state rep, he's a big firebrand with the Tea Party people, and, you know, even if you don't agree with libertarian politics or, or Tea Party politics, that is completely fine, but Kasich's guys were terrified that he would suck votes away from Kasich, and they all knew in the back of their minds, hey, we got to have a big old margin of victory here so John can go run for president. Right. You know, if you recall, they also did their dirty work on the Democrat candidate that year, Ed Fitzgerald, who, uh, well, they got him on all kinds of stuff. No driver's license, cheating on his wife while driving. I mean, good grief. It was just... Well, and it was, when we did our pre-interview for this, it was a lot of, I simply pointed out, like, it is... Nothing that they pinned to him was something that could have been discovered in vetting. Right. It was all sort of little stuff, but depending on how you frame it, it's like, well, what the fuck was that guy doing? Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, why wouldn't you have a driver's license? I mean, let's suppose you're a libertarian and, you know, government can't tell me to drive, man, right? (laughs) So what is your current involvement with the Libertarian Party? Sure. So that was all 2013, 2014. Charlie Earl got kicked off the ballot. Um, a lot of libertarians voted for the Green Party candidate. It should be noted, yeah, the Green Party candidate is... She got 3%. And she's in, yeah. automatically. Yeah, so Green Party has ballot access until this year. Now they got to get the 3% again, though, and this mm-hmm. is what's so stupid about SB 193 and, and just blatantly unfair, is that if they don't get 3%, then they got to do everything that the libertarians are trying to do now. So I am involved... And then I am gathering signatures, A, but then I've also been tapped to be the gubernatorial candidate myself this year and try to get the 3%. And the only reason they did that is because I've run for office before, ran for mayor of Bexley in 2007, got 5%, and ran for U.S. Congress with the Libertarians in 2010, and I got 4%. So I am just keep going down, and I hope I can get them their 3%. That's the goal here. So, again, there's, for those that aren't aware and haven't listened to previous episode with Travis, you've run for mayor of Bexley before. Yes. Run, run for Congress. There is actually a film, American Mayor, that you can check out on Amazon Prime. Yeah, absolutely. Please do. I get two cents every time someone just watches it. And if you leave it on loop all day, I think I get five cents. Do you figure this math out? No, I don't. Okay, you we get just... like a check for like two dollars every <laughs> a few nice. months. I know it is nice. You're yeah, right. it's <laughs> like that's an ice cream cone. Yeah. <laughs> so at this point, there are two barriers of entry for you being on the ballot, right? Yes. There's one. The signatures. Fifty-four thousand signatures. Yes. Makes... And they have to be fifty-four thousand valid signatures. Valid signatures. So yeah. the what's the goal to at like. What do you actually think you guys need to get to in order oh, well, to... Well, fortunately, I mean, the Libertarian Party, both the National and the, the Ohio State Party, are completely on this because this is very important. I mean, the Libertarians mm-hmm. and Green Party, really, you know, you think about it, half of their battles are just getting on the ballot. Because, right. you know, different states, like, it's hard for the Green Party to get on the ballot because the Democrats are trying to keep them off. You know, it kind of works both ways. So the first battle is to get the 54,000 valid signatures. You usually got to turn in like 70,000 valid just to be safe for any okay. technicalities. We're right now, we just crossed the 54,000 valid signature threshold Great. using a tool with the uh, Secretary of State's office, and we have 80,000 raw. So we're in the home stretch, but we're hoping to get, you know, this last at least 10,000, if not 15, valid to turn in. And then once those are turned in in August of this year, 
Then I have to get 50 signatures of unaffiliated voters, not with any political party, and to get on the ballot for governor. And that all needs to be authorized by a Secretary of State who does not want the Libertarians on the ballot in any way, Mr. John Husted. So, uh, who is also running to be... The, he's trying to be the lieutenant governor. Right. Yeah. So it is a process. It is a huge process. If we're successful by August, then we'll have a good time. Then we'll just go into campaign mode and, and do the do what I usually do. But you think it is all farming until that point? I mean, it's just all uncertain. I mean, we could turn in the 54,000 signatures and they could find a technicality just, you know, they could make one up. That's what they did with Charlie Earl. I mean, he turned in his 1,200 valid signatures to get on the ballot for governor. He needed to have 500. The technicality that the Republicans got was that our signature gatherers didn't disclose their employment information, which is like a technicality that's never been enforced before. But they managed to pull that off. And, so and they the argument being these folks were paid to collect signatures. Yeah. And they didn't upfront disclose to anyone that they were paid. Something like that. It's, it's some technicality, again, that's just never, never been enforced. And the way they were able to do it, the Supreme Court case is, is, you know, stupidly fascinating, where the Republicans found a guy who was registered libertarian, paid for his lawsuit to sue the LPO over the signatures to say they're not valid. These bills went up to the hundreds of thousands of dollars. The Republicans were secretly paying those bills, and this guy was called by one of the Supreme Court justices a guileless dupe in a plot, basically, to kick Charlie Earl off the ballot. But still, it was passed. It was, uh, yeah. I mean, it, the court case would have dragged out past the 2014 election if, okay. if Charlie Earl's campaign had chosen to keep going with it, so it was irrelevant by September. Got it. Yeah. And not to... There is another sort of barrier of entry for you. At this point, you are not the candidate for That's, the Libertarian yes, Party. Yes, thank you. We need more barriers to run for office in <laughs> Sorry, this there are three now. There right. are now 15. I've lost count. I need to win the straw poll at the Libertarian Party of Ohio's convention, state and convention. As of this recording. Yes. It's, uh, yeah, it won't be official until three months before the general election, which will be August, early August. And so then what do you believe happens? Well, Because uh, you said that then you do what you do. Yeah, I do my campaign thing. Uh, I want to visit all 88 counties. Okay. I just want to, you know, the nice thing is with the primary, you kind of got Cordray and DeWine, who are both very boring, predictable political candidates. And, you know, there's going to be spillover. Usually the Libertarians get spillover from guys, uh, folks who are, like, disappointed that Kucinich didn't get the nomination right. Like, we'll, we'll, get, we'll go to the left on criminal justice reform with Cordray, basically. That's kind of Libertarians go. You legalize marijuana. You uh, let nonviolent drug offenders out of prison. You give them their voting rights back and the death penalty. That's a, you know, so progressives mm -hmm. like those things about libertarians. And then I got Mary Taylor's people who are all scared of Mike DeWine and his gun control. And so we're going to also pull in probably a lot of pro-gun, pro-Second Amendment voters. So, so you literally are getting the far left. And the far right. And the far right. That's the people who tend to show up for libertarian elections, yes. What's the relationship with the Green Party at this point, then? Do the libertarians and the Green? I mean, yeah. I, know, I do know their governor candidate, Connie Gladwell-Newton. Yeah. She's a very nice lady. I've seen her attorney. at debates. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but... No, beyond that, I mean, we're just in the same race in that I hope they get 3%, and hopefully they hope we get 3%, you know? Hopefully Cordray and DeWine are so boring that people actually show up and vote for minor political parties because this is, in Ohio, it is now worth it. You know, we do need that crucial 3% to even give you another option on the ballot for the next four years. I guess the thing that's disconcerting to me is this will continue to be a fight, mm -hmm. and it will continue to... Every four years, unless we overturn 
SB 193 somehow. Which is unlikely given the makeup of the state legislature. Well, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> and so, to be absolutely clear, you intend to run for governor. Yes. You don't intend to win. Well, you never know. The minimum goal is 3%. Okay. But hopefully you get way more than that. And obviously. so do you believe, given the conversations that you've had with folks at the Libertarian Party, that you are being brought on literally, simply to drum up enough support? They don't have higher goals than... Well, I mean, no, I wouldn't... I mean, they'd love to see 5%, percent They would love to see 5 yeah, Nothing happens then. Yeah, yeah. They don't get another two years added to it. No, they don't. I guess you're right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we got to meet the technicality of 3% minimum. And the reason, yeah, they tap me is because I've run for office before, I've done this before, and I've gotten them what they needed before. So, yeah, all of those factors lead into it. And again, in the past, you've only been an endorsed candidate, not the actual candidate for the party. You mean for so, governor? Or? Yeah, no, for the mayor's race. For right. And it was actually only for Congress that you were an endorsed Yeah, because the right? Bexley mayor's race is nonpartisan. I just got, actually, that was a fascinating race. If you see the documentary, American Mayor on Amazon Prime, available now, go loop it. Two they, cents every time. Two cents every month. I was endorsed by the Franklin County Libertarian Party and the Central Ohio Green Party when I ran for mayor of Bexley. So, there you go. Two. I think the joke was two fringe political parties came together for one very fringe candidate. <laughs> as we like to say. And I ran against seven other people for Bexley mayor. So getting 5% in that race was actually a pretty big deal, except when you actually look at how many people voted, I got like 200 votes. You know, the 18-year-old kid got like 46 votes. So, and there were, in terms of the rank, you were not last place among those seven. No, I was sixth place, yeah. You only beat the high school kid? No, I beat the gay guy and the high school kid. <laughs> Bexley was apparently very anti-gay. I could not believe it. Apparently. Yeah. Because they voted, they voted for me over. I mean, I, anyway, I had dreadlocks. I was living with my parents. It wasn't the best. Choices. It wasn't the best campaign. Yeah, I should have. I should grow my dreadlocks back, though. I think. You think? Yeah. Well, I also I dreadlocks when I ran for Congress. Remember? Two times in my life, I've been a white guy with dreadlocks, and I am sorry for that. Um, I did not learn my lesson the first time. But also, both of those times... I ran for election. I, I was running for office. And we made videos where I cut my hair. And I was like, this is what I'm going to do to the federal budget. It was great. I mean, libertarians loved it. But you get the idea. I do. So along those lines, what happens after August? What are... You're going to tour all 88 counties. I would love to visit all 88 counties. And our strengths of the campaigns I've, I've run and been a part of and then my own has always been earned media. We make these videos, these campaign videos that are not overly jokey, but they're fun and entertaining because political videos could be pretty boring or nasty. And so we kind of bring like a fresh creative take on it, very positive. You always stay, you know, it's very easy, honestly. I remember going door to door, the libertarian race, just being like, are you a Republican or Democrat? I'm like, I'm not either. I'm sick of both of them. They're like, give me that flyer, right? <laughs> That's usually, you know, I... Most people identify as independent, you know. That's what right. makes Ohio the swingiest of all the, the swing states. That's what they say. That's what they say. So our videos, when I ran for mayor of Bexley 2007, 2009, Jay Leno put my jingle that we made. He put it on the Jay Leno show, not on the Tonight Show. It was the worst. I mean, unless, of course, I get on his garage show <laughs> with all the cars. It was technically the worst Jay Leno show that ever existed. But it was a segment <laughs> called Elected or Non-Elected, and they showed five kind of like fun, wacky, straight, some straight-up kooky campaign ads, and then the crowd would vote, elected or not elected. And I remember Jay Leno specifically said, um, this guy uh, shouldn't be uh, writing jingles and should just be uh, running for office. I love that song. I love that song. That's what he did. 
It's my J-Lo. Oh, I got a bobble in my head. <laughs> I got a bobble in my head. I forgot. He loved it. He loved it. So that was the mayor campaign. And then when I ran for Congress in 2010, we had an ad called Give the Two-Party System the Third Finger, which you may recall. I do. And um, is it, you guys are going to love this. This is just classic stuff. Again, you, you talk about the two parties, how they've let everybody down. The two-party system is, is broken. So it's time to give the two-party system the third finger. And you hold up the ring finger, not the middle finger. I remember we used to do this in, like, third grade. And, like, people would be like, whoa. It's like, no, no, I'm not flicking you off. It's... This is just the ring finger. So we had a bunch of people doing that to the camera, and we raised enough money to put it on TV. So it became an actual campaign ad. And then, sure enough, the weekend before the election in 2010, PBS NewsHour had a, a segment on campaign ads. They call us one of the most clever campaign ads of the season. Um, and that was a year where he also had John Hickenlooper from Colorado taking a shower every time he saw a negative ad. So that one was kind of fun. And then, of course, Claire... God, what was it? I think Christine O'Donnell in Ooh. Delaware, the, the uh, woman who's like, I'm not a witch. She, she had to inform people that she's not a witch in her campaign ads. So we were featuring a segment about fun campaign ads. And then uh, apparently we were on Anderson Cooper as well. But he was not as amused by the video. He's and a serious that, man. What's that? He's a serious man. He's a very serious guy. Yeah, right. why would he? But it was, you know, that's what we do. And then, you know, 2014, Tim and I, full disclosure, because I was very upset about the Libertarians getting kicked off the ballot, and so I just want to make fun of John Kasich. I started up a um, statewide pack here in Ohio called Central Ohioans Countering Kasich. Also known as? C-O-C-K. You can do the math. And we had a lot of fun with that. We just made fun of Kasich for the whole election. And because Ed Fitzgerald's campaign imploded by September, we started getting more... We press. got a lot, like, so... Like, a lot of press. Again, full disclosure, I was the treasurer of this organization. You were the deputy. I, I, I was, was the, the deputy, treasurer. is that what I was? Yeah, I did all the accounts. Here's the, the worrisome thing. My home address was at the bottom of That was a mistake ad. that we should not have... You know, we should use an office. We should have but gotten you can't, one. You're not allowed to use a P.O. box, so... Right. I appreciate I offered that, that up. Yeah. up. At one did. point, it was, like, my office, like, my, like, work's office, but I didn't feel comfortable telling them, you know, hey, yeah. I am associated with this anti-Kasich political action committee yeah. is it okay and they're like what's it called <laughs> yeah you can just, just use C-O-C-K. my home address just spell it out right yeah you don't have to yeah what was it cockpack.org it was cockpack.org yeah that's what it was and one of my favorites was we got on on the record the uh, WOSU show hosted mm-hmm. by Mike Thompson and they showed an ad because Kasich put on an ad called he listened which featured a cop who basically said Kasich listened to us when we repealed SB5, and we moved on, and he's a great guy. Basically. Well, and also the intention of that was something that we had pointed out, that he, it's my favorite freeway exit in the state. He was pulled over by a police officer yes. going north on 315. He ended up being pulled over right after. I thought he was just driving against traffic. That's like how dumb John Casey. No, was. he just he he was going the speed limit close to a pulled over cop. Oh car. yeah, you're supposed to change lanes. You're supposed to change lanes. You're supposed yeah. to get away. And he ended up getting pulled over right after the Hudson and 315 North. Excuse me, Henderson and 315 North exit. And how do you know so much about? Because I love. Over. I just love that exit. Yeah. Okay. And. He then, in speeches, would talk about how crazy he would use this as an analogy for regulation. Yeah, and well, say, he called the cop. He an, an idiot. 
Exactly. Yeah. He was just he like, was, he went around and he was just berating this cop. Who it was his stump speech to literally be, can you guys believe I was pulled over? Well, you got to do full case at Colin. You got to scrunch your face. Okay. You got to kind of like hunch your shoulders and then like flap your arms. Like this. It's like, yeah, he's an idiot. <laughs> and then you just do that. That's the John K. Sucks. That's the John K. Sucks dance, which, we'll which we also orchestrated with Cockpack. Right. Yeah. By the way, it is John Kasich's because if he had presented himself as John Kasich, there was a belief that Travis, or frankly me, would get sued. Yeah. And so we ended up It was having, just like murky. We were just weren't sure about the legal We had to be right careful. There. Yeah. And so it's basically John Kasich's is obviously parody, and so there yeah. you go. Yeah. But yeah, literally this event, he was pulled over by a police officer. Totally valid reason. That was actually based on the safety of other police officers. Right. <laughs> and part of his stump speech ended up being, can you believe these people pulled me over? And he over and over and over again said, he's an idiot. Yeah, yeah. So that's what our it video to that's what our video made fun of. We just we got uh, my friend who's an actor to play a cop, and he just focused on uh, <laughs> how John Kasich called him an idiot, basically. And this is the one that got on WOSU's on the record, you know, because at, at that point again, Fitzgerald's campaign was like toast. So they put it. So on. they needed something to talk they about. In terms yeah, we of were the giving them, We were right. just churning out anti-John Kasich content while everyone else was falling flat. So, and I remember the Republican commentator they had on the show. It was so funny because I wanted them to say our name <laughs> so bad. I was just like, come on, say it. Say like, it's put out by a, a, a group here uh, out of central Ohio. You know, they They're were so a, close. Uh, they were a political action committee that seems to be against Governor John Kasich. Yeah, and I remember the Republican guy was just like, yeah, I don't know if that's because, you know, we got like thousands of views on YouTube within, you know, a day or two. But the Republican guy was like, I don't know if that's really going to do anything. It's, it's run by some kid out of New York who works for Obama and MoveOn.org. <laughs> because it highlights my time when I liked Obama and I just trying to make videos for MoveOn.org. So. Right. Well, and it's easy to, to do that. Especially for someone like way. you. Yeah. And that, I think that that's what's going to be interesting with the gubernatorial race is they are going to be able to point to... Well, I did it super quick. Affiliated with Roger Stone. Yes. Affiliated with Gary Johnson. Yes. That's not a bad thing, considering... Those things are good with Trump voters. And then also Gary Johnson people. Right. Yeah. But also, like, your work with the Vice Network. Right. Your... Which was all pro-Bernie Sanders, basically. Okay. A lot of my videos were blatantly pro... Are you worried about being discredited? What? I think I've done that enough myself. <laughs> They don't need to do it for me. Good grief. I mean, look, again, I've been politically independent. I mean, I was kind of raised Democrat, but, you know, I think after the Bush-Cheney years, what turned me on to libertarianism was this guy, Ron Paul, who inspired a bunch of millennials to be more libertarian because mm -hmm. he was basically an anti-war, pro-civil liberties Republican in the 2008 debates. Right. And he got a big uh, back and forth with Rudy Giuliani about 9-11 and, you know, whether it made us safer or, you know, because they're cracking down on all the, the civil liberties. And right. so he, you know, he voted against the Patriot Act, just like Dennis Kucinich and Russ Feingold. It's, it's kind of and fun. And it was, it was four total, right? With in the, the House that voted against? Yeah, I think yeah. so. It was very low. And Russ Feingold was the only guy in the Senate. And, you know, it's this interesting crossover that I really do think is the future of at least millennial politics is, are these areas where progressives and libertarians agree. I mean, when I was campaigning with Gary Johnson in 2016, we had a lot of Bernie people showing up because we're all anti-war, we're pro-civil liberties, we're pro-criminal justice reform, pro-marijuana legalization. That seems to unite a lot of people, I've found. Yeah. Um, 
at parties and stuff like that. So, <laughs> but um, but you know, you're, when you're out talking to people, yeah, you know, hanging out, pressing the flesh, shaking hands, kissing babies, as you do. There's some concern, especially given how the last presidential election went, that who you're going to be drawing folks away from. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about, you know, you have potential Kucinich voters, we have potential Mary Taylor voters. Right. What will your focus or intention be? And, like, are you worried about that? Because, again, you don't intend on winning. Well, we're going to try. You always sorry, have to try, Tim. You don't Come expect... campaign 101. Let me rephrase it. The goal you... is to win, but also 3%. <laughs> You're, you don't expect to win. Is you got to is... stop asking me that. I expect to win outright. Okay. And then challenge the election results immediately. Great. Just like William Buckley would have done. Are you worried about the implications of either candidate? No. With Gary Johnson specifically in Ohio, he got 3% of the vote, which technically, again, thanks to SB 193, he was not on the ballot as a libertarian. He was on the ballot as an independent, so that did not count towards ballot access for the next four years. It should have, but it didn't. But Trump won Ohio by 8%. I mean, it wasn't even close. So, you know, especially in Ohio, I don't think I will be taking votes away from either candidate. I think that 3% exists as is under the current landscape. It'll be the Democrats' job to get, you know, more points than Mike DeWine, really. I would just add to that, I mean, the goal is it always has to be to win. You always have to, when you go into any election, you have to work to win. And we're going to, you know, double digits would be great. But, you know, if you look at Ross Perot, I remember Ross Perot. I was the only kid who voted for Ross Perot in uh, my third grade election. Third grade election. straw poll. Yeah, third grade straw poll. And, I mean, uh, Ross Perot got 19% of the popular vote. You know, we fought the same battle with Gary Johnson. When these candidates, if Jill Stein and Gary Johnson had been in all the televised debates with Trump and Clinton, they would have definitely pulled more votes. That's what you saw with Ross Perot in 92 because he was in those debates. That's why he got so much traction in the general. And if he had a better organized campaign, he probably would have exceeded the 19% that he got. I want to finish off just with, we're a week and a half away from the primaries. Do you have any reflections on how things sort of worked out? Yeah, I think they worked out in our favor because I think the Toledo Blade had a great editorial. It was about boring may prevail in the in the gubernatorial race. And, you know, Cordray and DeWine are both, you know, mainstream, moderate, exactly what you would expect mm. from, a, you know, from boring politics. So I think it worked out in our favor. And I do think, yeah, the Kucinich people are going to be looking for an alternative and the Mary Taylor people are going to be looking for an alternative. And, you know, and you and I have talked before about it's not necessarily pro-pop, pro-guns. It's pro-rights. It's pro-people having these rights right. to use these things properly as civilized adults. So, but it is kind of fun that the Libertarian Party does have this knack to be, uh, I support the right of married gay couples to guard their pot plants with 8K-47s. And it's just like, who does that appeal to? <laughs> the voter picks and chooses at that point. Exactly. And they hear yeah. what they want to hear. Yeah, and you know, honestly, the other fascinating thing, because I've been at this for like 10 years, and, you know, and it happened to me, was that a lot of people are Libertarian, they just kind of don't know it. And then there's always some issues, like, you know, I actually do think the environment needs to be protected by laws, so that's an area where I differ with fellow libertarians. But, right. you know, you, you have that within any political party, as a recent primary showed. Yeah, well, and we talked about how, you know, as someone who was raised Quaker, you know, could be a libertarian. I You're still just don't believe that be... you were, I think you were just raised on Quaker oats. <laughs> the cereal. No, I was raised Quaker. Okay. On that note, yeah. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, a round of applause for Travis Irvine. Oh, hey. Is that an hour already?
That was 45. 45 minutes? Yeah. Boy, we are good at gabbing. <laughs> we are, you are very good no, at No, you're it. good at gabbing. No, you. No, you. Hey, let's hear it for the Columbus Podcast Festival, everybody. This, is, this has been really fun. Thank you, Travis. Thank you, Tim. Thank you for listening to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. Again, you can get more information on what Travis and I discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Please rate, subscribe, share this episode of the Confluence Cast with your friends, family, contacts, enemies, your favorite politician. If you're interested in sponsoring the Confluence Cast, get in touch with us. We can be reached by email at info at theconfluencecast.com. Our theme music was composed by Benji Robinson. Our producer is Philip Cogley. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. Have a great week. <laughs>